take your Bibles this morning, open them uh, to Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to do what I rarely do, uh, which is preach kind of a one-off sermon or just one that's not connected to any other series. Philippians 4, uh, verses 8 and 9. If you're using one of the black Bibles under a seat in front of you, you'll find Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 on page 923. If you don't own a Bible of your own, please feel free to uh, grab, take that, that little one under the seat uh, in front of you or nearby you. Take it home, make it yours, use it as you uh, walk with the Lord uh, in the year ahead. Uh, as you make your way to Philippians 4, I also want to remind you that we have some uh, copies of Bible reading plans for the next year. Uh, an email went out to, to, hopefully, to most everybody this week with links to some that you could print out. But if you don't want to print it out, there's some that are already printed. And they're on one of the tables in our foyer as you grab some coffee and a donut later on. Grab one of those Bible reading plans and maybe a friend to read the Bible through with over the course of the next year. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. We've come to the end of the year. Literally, this is the last day of 2023. Come to the end of one year and the start of the next. And this season that comes around every uh, cycle around the sun usually sends us, it does me anyway, into a mode of reflection. Reflection on the last 12 months, how things went. Did I accomplish what I intended? Did things go well? Did I, did, I, did I do well? Did I do poorly? And I start thinking about the year ahead, start planning and projecting for the next 12 months. Uh, this morning, as many of us probably find ourselves at that place in our lives where we're thinking about what was behind us and looking forward to what's ahead in the next year, I want for us to make the most, spiritually anyway, of this impulse at this time of year to reflect well and to project well, to think well of what's behind and to think rightly about what is ahead, to do each of these in a way that honors Christ and reminds us of the gospel and ultimately brings glory to God. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Paul gives his final instruction to the church at Philippi. Uh, this letter Paul likely wrote while he was in prison. Uh, Philippians is a very encouraging letter on the whole. Uh, he, he speaks much about rejoicing. That's a constant theme throughout the letter. And for the most part, he's just very grateful for the church at Philippi for the support that they've given to him even while he was in prison. Uh, he's writing to them of his intention to come see them again and encouraging them to keep doing what they've been doing. In these, final, in, these, in these verses near the end of his letter, Paul gives us final instruction to the church to meditate on those things that reflect Christ-likeness and to imitate those people who have provided a Christ-like example of living all with the expectation that God will demonstrate His presence among them as they do so, to think well and to imitate good examples. The main idea of our sermon, uh, our time in God's Word this morning is this, that God demonstrates His presence, His peaceful presence, among those who think on and imitate what is godly. God demonstrates His presence among those who think on and imitate what is godly. This morning then, having this before us in God's Word, let us then think back on what was Christ-like for us as a church over the last 12 months. And let us think ahead and set our pattern for meditation, for thinking in the year ahead on what is also Christ-like. Let us look to godly examples that we've seen in the last year that we can imitate. And let us practice genuine Christian living in the year ahead that we might be good examples for others to imitate also. God demonstrates this peaceful presence among those 
who think on and imitate what is godly. Will you stand with me as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading His Word from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens these words. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's Word. You may be seated. God demonstrates His peaceful presence among those who think, who think on and imitate what is godly. This passage begins, it's sort of split into two parts, but begins, first of all, by encouraging the church to think rightly about the right things. To think rightly about the right things. These two little verses, this short passage is structured around two commands. One command comes in verse 8, think about these things. The second command comes in verse 9, practice these things. They're almost there in in, in parallel form. Verse 8 is interesting. Paul writes funny, if I could just say that. I think he often structures things. Paul spoke in Greek and wrote in Greek, and so he he thinks Greekish, and he often writes things differently or out of order from how we would write them in English. And verse 8 is kind of structured backward from how we would structure it in English. In English, we would start with the command and then sort of give the explanation or fill it out in the end uh, or, or after the command. In verse 8 of Philippians 4, Paul sort of fills out everything and then gives the command at the end. So we'll start with the command. We'll start with the end. The command that Paul gives to the church at Philippi is to think about these things, to think on these things. The word Paul used in his native language is logizomai. It means to meditate on, to dwell on, to... I love this word. I found it in a, in a lexicon. A lexicon's like a, kind of like a Greek dictionary, Greek to English dictionary. To cogitate on these things. There's your, new, there's your word for the new year. Use it this week. To cogitate to let these things roll around in your brain, to consider them, to, to, to let, them, uh, let them live in your mind and take up space in the way that you view the world. Think about these things. Well, what things? Well, now we go back to the beginning of the verse where Paul gives us the list of what things to think about. I want to apologize at the front end. I don't normally, I try normally not to do this, but we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say a bunch of Greek words this morning and you don't have to pay attention to them necessarily. Just, I guess in some sense, know that I know them and that you can know them too. Paul gives us a list, a list of six things to be thinking about. First of all, think about what is true. This is the word in Greek, alethe. It is anything that is truthful, anything that is dependable, anything that is trustworthy, any, any, any idea, any concept that is unchanging. Think about that. Think about what is true. Think about what is honorable, Paul says. Or, or, or some of your translations may say noble. This is the word semna. It means dignified. It's a word that's primarily used to describe church leaders like elders and deacons and uh, those who are discipling others in the church. Whatever is just or right. 
This is the word dikaya. One of my favorite, the first one of the first Greek words I ever learned in seminary uh, and actually remembered was dikaiosune. That's a pretty cool word. Uh, I had a, a friend who was working with me at Starbucks when I was going to seminary and I was going through my flashcards uh, on a break one day and, and uh, he's like, what's that word there? And I said, it's dikaiosune. And he's like, dude, that's awesome. What does it mean? And I said, it means righteousness. It means to be, be in a right standing with God. And, and he is not a believer. His name was Kevin. I don't know where Kevin is, but Kevin, if you're watching this, we need to catch up, bro. Um, Kevin, so Kevin would always, every time he saw me, he would say, dikaiosune, right? It comes from that word dikaia. It, it, it conveys the idea of being just, of being in a right relationship with God. Whatever is right, whatever is just, Paul says, think about that. Whatever is pure. This is the word hagna. It's also uh, from the same root uh, uh, word that we get the word hagias, which means holy. Whatever, whatever is unstained by sin, whatever is pure, whatever is right in the sight of God. Think about those things. Whatever is lovely, prosphile. This is a word that's only found here in the entirety of the New Testament. It means that which calls forth love, that which is pleasing to the eyes, to the senses, to the heart. Whatever is lovely, think about that. Whatever is commendable, or some of your translations may say admirable, euphema. This is another word that's only used in this one place in all of the New Testament. It means that which is praiseworthy and attractive, that which is unlikely to offend, whatever is commendable, whatever is admirable. Think about these things, Paul says. Cogitate on these things. Let these things roll around in your mind. In other words, he says, and then he gives us two categories that sort of sum up the previous six qualifications. In other words, anything that is excellent, anything that is praiseworthy, Think about those. So, so if six things is too much for you to remember, just how about these two? Excellence and praiseworthiness. The word excellent uh, comes from, and this is a word that my kids will know, is a Greek word, arete. Y'all know that word, right? Because it's one of your houses at school. At, at their school, they have houses that all the different classes are part of. And one of the houses is, is arete. Arete means that which is morally excellent, right? That which is, is without moral disqualification, Whatever is praiseworthy, epinos, which means meriting the praise of God or the godly praise of others. These are the things that Paul wants the church at Philippi to think about, to meditate on, to let roll around in their head. And these are the things that he includes that they should think about as one of his final commands in this letter to his friends at the church there. Think about these things. So we come to the end of 2023 as a church and trying to be faithful and obedient to God's word, are we thinking about these things? Or, or maybe to say that differently, how can we reflect on the year that's come before to see where we as a church have pursued these things that God in his word says are good and right and appropriate to pursue? So I stopped this last week to think about some of these things, to, to think about what, what has been true, honorable, right, just, pure, lovely, commendable, among us as a church, or things that we have pursued that fit this, these qualifications? What have we thought about that was true in the last year? Well, probably a lot of things, but at least one. We stopped to reflect uh, earlier in the spring of this year on God's design for gender and sexuality in our family discipleship seminar back in April, I think. We discussed how to talk with your children about 
uh, in a godly, in a biblical way about the most current wave of the sexual revolution in which we find ourselves. We focused on what is true and unchanging, that God has made man in His image as male and female to glorify Him in the created bodies that He has given to us. We stop to focus and reflect on what is true in God's Word and what's true about our bodies, even though our, our culture would have us to say something different. What do we do that was honorable? What do we think about that was honorable? Well, I, I, I think about this. We pursued this. We, we installed this year seven new deacons who are honorable men, noble men who love the church and want to serve the church, who, who, are, the, who, who are themselves dignified. What do we pursue that was just or right? Friends, we baptized believers several this year and several even just in the last two, three months. Baptism is a picture of their having been made right with God, having been placed in a right relationship with God, a just relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That's what it is to be saved, is to be justified, to be made right with God. We reflected on the justification of new believers as, as they made their faith in Jesus public through baptism. We also began praying intently in 2022, a couple years or a year or so ago, praying intently about missions and a mission strategy. And for the first time in 14 years, we sent a team overseas on a short-term trip. This is right to do. It is right to support missionaries. It is right for us to go to the nations with the gospel and to think about how we can help those who are already on the field to continue doing their work. It's, it's good to do that. God has called us to. It's right to be obedient there. What about what is pure? Well, we began uh, just in the last couple of months a, a new rhythm for taking the Lord's Supper on the second Sunday morning of each month. We we're already taking it on the last Sunday evening of each month when we met, but, but now we're going to start taking it on the second Sunday morning of every month. Lord's Supper is uh, an ordinance that Christ has given to the church that, that remembers His death for sins, but in taking it, it calls us to regular repentance, to a regular reflection on our own pursuit of purity. It reminds us week by week, month by month, as often as we take it, of what Christ has done to make us holy, to make us pure, and that we're called as His people to live holy lives. That's one thing we've done that reflects purity. What about what is lovely? That is, what about uh, that which calls forth love or, or, or is pleasing? As I thought about this, I, I thought, uh, first of all, of our grow groups that meet on Wednesday nights throughout the spring and fall semesters. Uh, groups of men and women that uh, are, are circled around, uh, concentrated on God's Word, uh, not a curriculum, but just working through God's Word together. But in that time, intentionally, not just studying the Bible to study the Bible, but to press one another and love one another toward holiness and godliness and gospel living. That is a lovely thing to me to see church members invested in the discipleship of fellow church members. That is a thing that, that draws out uh, uh, pleasure in me, and I think in all the right ways, and it ought to in us too. I'm so grateful for Ken and Danelle Steffen's leadership in, in those groups, and they, they have really done uh, yeoman labor in terms of uh, planning for uh, each semester and keeping those things going and continuing to set that vision and press people forward in pursuing that. That is a lovely thing. I also just personally, not so much a church, but personally, I performed two weddings in the last year. Relationships that I, I pray will result in Christ honoring covenant love. It is a lovely thing. It's good to think about the loveliness of Christian marriage. Amen. 
And, and that is the thing pleasing to God and, and the right context for the expression of, of, of covenant love, marital love, and human sexuality. It's a beautiful thing. What about what is commendable? What can we think about that's commendable or admirable this, this year? And, uh, here I want to brag on two people, uh, two ministries in our church in particular, and I didn't ask their permission for this, so forgive me later. Two people I want to commend uh, are Joel Rinderknecht, he's our youth ministry director, and Becky Henderson, who is our children, children's ministry director. Um, these two do way more work than they are appreciated for. They spend countless hours discipling students and children and planning events and spending time with those so that uh, the, those that, that are children and, and our students so that they can grow in their relationship to Jesus Christ. They do commendable work, admirable work. Uh, they do work with, they do, they do a lot of work with never enough volunteers. Um, and they do it well. They do it without complaining. Um, they, they do it in ways that, that, that make me look better than I ought. And so uh, I want to commend you two, Becky and Joel, for your work um, in, in supporting and helping our ministry in the past year. 2023, some things that are true, honorable, noble, just, pure, uh, commendable, and so on. What about to 2024? What excellent, what, what praiseworthy things, as Paul sums it up in just two words, what excellent and praiseworthy things will we make our focus in the year ahead? You may have a bunch of plans. I, I have some things that I'm intending. I'm going to tell you them all today. I also don't know all of them, but uh, what will we look ahead to? What will we reflect on in 2024? Understand that whatever it is that you pursue or thinking about that is excellent or praiseworthy, all of these things will never be accomplished perfectly by us. Right? Even the things that we that just, just reflected on, none of those things did we do perfectly. None of those things did, did, did we do in, in any way that, that was just so absolutely excellent that nobody could find any fault or, or shortcoming in any of them. Even the things we intend to do, intend to think about in the year ahead that are excellent and praiseworthy, even those things will not be done perfectly by us. But each one of them, each one of these six things that, that Paul outlines in Scripture, each of these is done perfectly and is modeled perfectly in Jesus. He is the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to think about what is true? Think about Jesus. Jesus is dignified in every way. He is the good, the honorable shepherd of his sheep. He's the model for all church leaders and for all Christians. You want to know what to think about that is noble? Think about Jesus. He is the only righteous one who gives his righteousness to sinners when they believe on him to justify us to God. So if you want to think about what is just or think about what is right, start by thinking about Jesus. He is the, himself the holy one of God, the only pure one, as, as the gospels so often call him. He is the one that makes us holy by his blood shed at the cross for our sins. If you want to think about what is pure, think about Jesus. It is he, our Savior, who personifies loveliness in all that he does, because everything that he does is pleasing to God and pleasing to those who desire godliness. The only people that Jesus seems to offend are those who, who don't want to do what God wants them to do. Furthermore, Jesus calls his people to love one another out of their love for him and so to demonstrate our discipleship in the world. If you want to think about what is lovely, think about the character, the person, the work of Jesus. 
He is the only truly admirable and commendable one, friends. He is God, a very God. Jesus Christ is in all ways perfect. He is Himself, the personification of arete, of moral excellence in His sinlessness. And even in the testimony of those who observed His ministry, who, who said, He does all things well. If you want to think about what is excellent, start with Jesus. If you want to think about what is praiseworthy, well, friends, is he not the one who is worthy of all of our praise? The one of whom Paul says earlier in this same letter, Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we think about what is praiseworthy in the year ahead, let us have Christ as the, the lens through which we look. I encourage you as we come to the end of this year to Take Paul's advice, God's advice through Paul and put it into action and reflect on the last year of your life. Maybe you're a journaler, maybe you're not, but it might be helpful to just jot down a few events, efforts, disciplines you undertook that reflect these virtues of Christ-likeness that Paul describes here in Philippians. And then think ahead to 2024, to the year ahead. You probably already are, you're probably already making plans. And as you think about the year ahead, start with praise and worship of Christ. Start the right way. Start thinking about the right things. Start thinking about the right person. And then in all your plans and all of your intentions with Christ as Lord of your life, ask, are my intentions true? Are my intentions honorable? Are they just, pure, lovely, commendable? And if not, God, what do I need to submit to Jesus for correction? What do I need to submit to Him for wisdom, for help, for repenting? In my pastoral counseling class in seminary, we were taught the importance of thinking rightly, especially helping those that we're counseling to think rightly. Because what we believe and and how we frame our perspective on matters in our minds has a dramatic effect on our affections, our, our, our emotions, our will, and ultimately on what we do. The way we think about things drives everything else, how we feel and how we act. We even see the same, the same principle played out in sports psychology that encourages athletes to visualize plays and routes and routines and game scenarios before performing them in order to be successful. Visualize the route. Visualize the, the pass progression. We're just in the middle of football, so I'm just I'm thinking about football. It's on my brain. Right? Think about who you're going to pass to first, and if he's not open, who's next, and where's the check down, and what's the escape route? Think about the play before you execute it. Think about your balance bar, uh, balance beam routine before you run it through so that you know in your mind what you need to do and how it ought to feel before you actually go out there and perform it. On the negative side, we see how setting our minds on negative things, on ungodly things, also has the capacity to destroy lives and, and, and to completely derail the way that we, that we live and, and act in the world. The phenomenon of doom scrolling, you know what doom scrolling is? It's when you open up your social media app and you just look, scroll for all the worst news you can find. Doom scrolling. The dramatic increase in depression and and even suicidal ideation experienced by those who spend hours a day on social media shows us that what we dwell on, what we think about, what we cogitate on has a significant impact on what we feel and what we do. Don't miss... Don't misunderestimate. That's a Yogi Berra-ism. Don't underestimate the importance of thinking rightly, 
of thinking in a godly way, of thinking, in, uh, of thinking uh, well, about Christ first and then allowing what we think about Christ and how we think on Him to change, uh, to change and affect everything else we do. Don't underestimate the, the impact that that has on the rest of your life. Begin thinking rightly. So as we look forward to a new year, I encourage you, as, as Paul does, get your mind on Christ. Get thinking about Jesus. Reflect on the last year through the lens and, and in relationship with Jesus. And look ahead to, to the next year and plan with every intention not to just do what's good, but with every intention to honor Christ and to bring Christ glory in what He has called us to do. Let this be true, that we think rightly about the right things as we close out one year and, and begin another. Paul commands the church not just to think rightly about the right things, but he also commands them, in verse 9, to imitate the right examples to imitate the right examples. It's not just about thinking rightly, it's also about living rightly. In verse 9, Paul invites the church to a way of life. He commands them to practice a way of life that was modeled by him. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What did the Philippians learn and receive and hear and see in Paul? Well, we can say for one, they certainly got all, they, they got the gospel from him. The good news that Jesus saved sinners from their sin by dying for them on the cross, by being raised from the dead. And when they place their faith and trust in him, they are made right with God. They got that news from him. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul's missionary journey where he, on his way, stops in Philippi, this major city in the region of Macedonia, named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. And there in Acts 16, in Philippi, he's uh, uh, gathered at a river for prayer, and there is a wealthy woman uh, who is engaged in the selling of fine cloths. She's a textile exporter by the name of Lydia. She hears what Paul is talking about. She hears the gospel. Her heart is converted. She comes to faith in Jesus Christ and she starts a church in her home. They got the gospel from Paul. And not just in Philippi, but everywhere Paul went. This is the first thing he did, was to remind them of the good news of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, uh, one of, another one of Paul's letters to another church, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this to the church. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached, unless you believed in vain. Paul writes to them and say, I'll remind you what I taught you, what you received from me, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners. So Paul says, whatever you have learned, received, heard in me, right, practice these things. So what ought they to first practice? Well, the gospel. They ought to rehearse it in their minds. They ought to proclaim it to others. They ought to live in a way that, that reflects the gospel. But what else did they receive from Paul? Not just teaching, but also a godly example. An example of a Christ-shaped life, of a gospel-shaped life. Because being a Christian is, is not just giving mental assent, mental agreement to some statements of fact. It is about having a life conformed to the one who is at the center of those statements of fact. A life conformed to the character and image of Christ. A life that is daily shaped by this redemptive relationship of love that we have with Jesus. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, 
He's looking forward to the resurrection and that he'll be raised bodily uh, when Christ comes again. And he's encouraging the Philippians to think about the resurrection as well and to be encouraged by it. But in verse 12 of Philippians 3, he says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. He's saying, "I'm, I'm not resurrected from the dead yet, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead and straining forward, uh, excuse me, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on for Christ's likeness, he says. I, I, I want, to, I want to, to, if God allows, be as holy as I can in this life in preparation for the resurrection life. He says in verse 15 of Philippians 3, Let those of you who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul didn't just give them the gospel. He gave them a picture of a life to follow, of a life to model, of a Christ-shaped, a gospel-shaped way of living that they could see and that they could imitate and that they could teach others as well. Imitate the right examples, Paul says. Think about the right things. Imitate the right examples. In the last year, the last 12 months, who were the examples you followed? Social media influencers? YouTube personalities? Televangelists? Pop psychologists? Politicians? There are a lot of examples for us to follow. A lot of people imitating different ways of life that I would say, and I think Scripture would too, are not particularly going to lead us to that Christ-shaped life at the end of it. None of these that I've just listed are very personal. All of them are people out there, people we're observing from a distance. None of them are very personal. None of them have given personal investment in our lives. I don't know a single talking head on cable news television that has ever cared about what I do tomorrow or bothered to call me up and pray for me. Paul is calling the Philippian church to practice what was learned through the personal investment and real-life modeling of one who sought to imitate Christ in all he did. Paul says, remember what you learned, received, heard, saw in me. I did this in front of you. I did this with you. I, I, I showed it to you. I invested my life in you in a way that I pray shows and reflects and demonstrates the character of Christ because I want you to live the same way. Don't look to other people who don't care about you. Imitate the good example that that I endeavored to give. So what examples did we follow in the last year? I won't go a list of positive or negative ones, but what about the year ahead, right? In 2024, what example will you follow and what example will you set for others? As we think about Paul's call to practice to imitate the life of godly mature Christians who have proclaimed the gospel and lived the gospel, there are several applications, implications for us. The first one, most obvious to me, is just the call to pastoral example. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, the author of Hebrews says to the church that they ought to remember their leaders, those who spoke to them the word of God, considering the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. As Paul encourages the church in Philippi to practice the example that he gave to them, I think a lot about what kind of example am I giving to you all? Is it, is it worthy of imitation? 
because, and not because it's maybe uh, looks successful in the eyes of the world, but is, is, the, is my life worthy of imitation because it looks like and is being more and more conformed to Christ. This call of Paul makes me think a lot about myself and the example that I'm called to give to you all as a church. But to you who are growing and maturing Christians, there's also a call to you to give an example that is worthy of imitation to others. This is not just Paul saying everyone in the church needs to follow their leaders. He wants everyone in the church to be mature in a way that they can be examples to all those who are still maturing in Christ. Listen to what Paul says to another uh, pastor leader, Titus, in Titus 2, verses 1 through 8. He says to Titus, who's pastoring in the island of Crete, he says, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. You hear that, guys? We are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women... Likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Titus, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The call to Christian example is not just a call for Christian leaders. It's a call for every mature believer. To Titus, Paul says, older men look like this. Older women look like this. Why? So that the younger men and the younger women in the church will have godly examples to follow. Live out the implications of the gospel in front of those who are watching you. Why? Because all of us need to be growing in this way. All of us ought to live uh, so con- lives so conformed to Christ that when the world sees us, the only, thing that they, the only bad thing they could say about us is that, boy, they look a lot like Jesus. <laughs> Why do we do all of this? Just to prove ourselves to God? No. We do it because we have the reminder of Christ's example and what he's done for us. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, right? Which means in some sense, if anybody would imitate me, if anybody would come in the way that I'm going, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus calls people to a life of Christian imitation, of imitation of Christ. In John 13, verses 14 and 17, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He says in John 13, 14, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Why do we imitate the right examples? Because we have a perfect example in Christ who himself says, imitate me. Imitate my life of service. Imitate my life of care for one another. A new command I give to you, love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another, Jesus says. He's he's giving us an example to follow, not so that we can save ourselves from our sin, not so that we can save other people from our sins. None of us is going to die on a cross in a way that brings forgiveness for people who believe in us. Jesus alone does that. 
But in the way that he lives, in the way that he serves, in the way that he loves and cares for people and speaks what is true, we're to imitate that. We're to grow up into Christ-likeness. And we're to have, and we're, uh, we're to have mature examples that set that pattern for us, and we are to be mature examples that set that pattern for others. Paul encourages the church at Philippi to think rightly about the right things and to imitate the right examples. And he doesn't say, do all of this just because I told you so. He, does, he says all of this with a promise. And the promise is at the, verse, at the end of verse 9. The promise is that of God's presence. Well, you've learned, received, heard, seen in me, practiced these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. Now, of course, Paul means only one God, the God of Scripture, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But catch the promise there. The presence of God will be known by those who have ordered their thinking around His character and His Son and whose life's practice is carried out in faith in the gospel and in holiness and in the power of Christ. The promise of the presence of our peaceful God is for those who think rightly about the right things and who imitate the right examples. A friendly objector might say, yeah, but lots of non-Christians do these things, Stephen. And they say they have a peaceful life. Lots of non-Christians pursue what's true, noble, honorable, maybe pure in some way, commendable. And they seem to have peaceful lives. I, I, I don't think that being a Christian has anything to do with peace at all. I might respond to that friendly objector this way. That I, I do think there is a common grace of God in this list of virtues. Right? That, that, that God gives a, a measure of His grace to all people who generally pursue these things. Not a saving grace, but a common grace, a common favor of God. These are things that if someone pursues, they will generally know, I think, a measure of peace in their lives. A contradiction comes, though, when that non-believer is pressed to consider why these virtues lead to peace. Whereas selfishness and pursuit of personal pleasure at any cost generally do not lead to peace. My argument would be that these generally lead to peace. The, the six, seven, eight things that Paul mentions here, these lead to peace because they are rooted in the very character and the person of God. The very character and person of Jesus making them inherently good and inherently fruitful. And any person, believing or not, who pursues these things will probably know some measure of peace in their life. So even a pursuit of these virtues, apart from a relationship with God or even in opposition to God, will, not, will result in some measure of peace. But friends, it won't result in the full measure of peace from God that He promises. Any pursuit of these things, apart from pursuit of the one who demonstrates them all perfectly, Jesus himself, will ultimately fall short. Amen. It will ultimately fall short of God's saving grace. Yep. It will ultimately fall short of the, the presence of his peace. There will always be a shortfall. If nowhere but at the end of your life, you will be confronted with the God in whom these things find their origin. So Paul's encouraging the church to live out these things. To, to, to think about these things because they've seen it in Paul, they've heard it in the gospel, they've known it in Christ. And so he's calling the church to do the same. And friend, if you are looking for a full measure of God's peaceful presence in your life, you find it this way. Not by just doing all the right things to make God happy with you, but by thinking on Christ, thinking, thinking on Him with faith, with trust in Him. 
who is all of these things and who gave his life to make you right with God. And then by living a life empowered by Christ that's conformed to his image. If you want to find a full measure of peace, you think rightly about the right things. Get your mindset on Christ and think about the world through the lens of his person and work. And then imitate the right examples. Follow the example of mature believers who are also following the example of Christ. Come before them. The invitation of Scripture today is to meet God in the person of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for sins, who was raised again to give us peace with God. And so if you desire to know peace, you must know Christ. Then in setting your thought life on him, and patterning your own behavior on him, and living it out by his enabling power, you will know the presence of the God of all peace. As we reflect on a year behind us and a year ahead of us, as we think about examples that we've set and imitated and ones that we intend to set and imitate, let us do all of that in a way that's submitted to and oriented around the one who's done it perfectly, the perfect one, Jesus himself. Friends, there are a lot of things I could have done better, could have done differently in 2023. I won't give you that list, it's too long. There are many things I hope to do in 2024. You likely find yourself in a similar position. As we reflect on what we did well and perhaps did poorly in the last year, let us think about what was excellent and praiseworthy. And as we plan for what is ahead, let us depend on Christ even as we aim for Christ's likeness. Did you imitate godly examples in the last year? Did you serve as a godly example worthy of imitation for others in the last year? However you answer that question, let it be true of us that before we imitate any godly person, that we find first ourselves justified to God through faith in Jesus Christ. May it be true of us that in all that we think about and in all that we do, that we give all glory to Christ in all things. It's helpful to think rightly about the right things. It's helpful to imitate the right examples. And I'm grateful to God that he's given this word to Paul and to the church, to Paul for the church, that we might do the same. As we come to this year end and we reflect on what's past and look forward to what is ahead, let's think about the right things. Let's imitate godly examples. Let's put Jesus first and in the front of all that we do, all that we think, all that we, every action, every, every effort uh, of our life as a body. And may Christ have all glory in his people. Let's pray together.